Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is Episode 17, Quanice Floyd, Shaking Foundations for a New Paradigm, Act 2, recorded November 10th, 2018, in Baltimore, Maryland. Screaming about irrevocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie but they don't apply To people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided All divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan Can't understand what you're shouting about But when the past they plow The lives aloud are the only roads you can see Just remember who walls were built to fall For people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Raise a hand and a glass to Teaching Artistry. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is proud to support the Association of Teaching Artists, the oldest organization serving TAs in the country, presenting their annual awards celebrating innovation and excellence in the field, Friday, May 17th at the New School in New York City. Get giveaways from Blick Art Materials, network with arts education colleagues, buy raffle tickets, boogie to the hot tunes, have delicious drinks, and more. Tickets at teachingartists.com. That's teachingartists.com. Raise your hand for teaching artistry. The ATA Awards. Hashtag ATA Awards 2019. Hey, hey, TA listeners, we are so appreciative of you. It would be so helpful if you actually make sure that you're following us on all of the social media platforms. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and we're on Instagram, and we're trying to activate all those spaces. So join us, won't you? Also, you know what would be really great is if you tell your peeps about teaching artistry with Courtney J. Body. If you tell one person, then that person tells another person, then there'll be so many people who are listening. That will totally help spread the word. Thanks for your support. Do you know Coachella? I, I barely know what it is. It's something on the West Coast, like a music festival, sort of similar to Governor's Ball here on the East Coast, but um, extra? I don't know. Anyway, obviously, I have paid very little attention to this event until more recently when Beyonce was headlining, uh, which is kind of a big deal because one, I love her, and two, she is the first African-American woman to headline the show's festival. Um, Effectively, they've been calling it Baychella. Anyway, this weekend, I was watching Homecoming, which is her movie about the making of 
the concert and the concert itself on Netflix and um, a great binge watching opportunity was had. Um, the movie shows her production, the rehearsal process, and, and more specifically really about her own journey, which, um, you know, it's so rare because they don't talk to the media a ton. So it was nice to see her talking about her and her life and what's going on and how, um, you know, having children and being a, a wife and a, and a businesswoman and a musician, what that all means and can look like and, um, how the kind of hard work that it takes, um, she also talks about the inspiration um, for the the piece. Um, for me, Beyonce um, has uh, a lot of meaning. I'm, I'm sure she means a lot to a lot of people. But <clears throat> in 2016, uh, when dro- uh, Formation and then Lemonade dropped, it um, that whole album, the movie, um, uh, or the visual album, um, it really helped me get through some tough times. Um, the first half of, um, 2016 was a physically a tough year for me. I had to have a surgery and, um, uh, Lemonade and Beyonce got me through, um, all the way to the concert where I had <laughs> barely made it. Like I had a great time at the concert, but it was about a month after my, con- my surgery and I thought I might die on the way home, but I made it. I made it through. Thanks. Thanks, Beyonce. Anyway, I'm talking about this because her inspiration um, was that she had always wanted to go to an HBCU, a historically black college or university, and there are over 100 in the nation. And um, uh, what I love about it is that she um, was able to display a magnificent display of black excellence and really celebrate black culture on that stage. Um, so, you know, when saying you're the first, you're, you know, she's all in is what I felt. And it's a, she gives a good concert in general. Um, and she's, she's a very good performer and, um, and it was really fun, fun and celebratory to watch. And you could tell that everything had a very specific meaning. The reason why I bring this up is one, yeah, who who can't find a time to talk about Beyonce? But also, um, Quanice went to Howard, which is a historically black uh, university, and um, all the way through her um, interview that I, uh, or the conversation that we had, she was quoting things, <laughs> and I realized as I was watching Homecoming that some of the quotes that she says in this interview were listed, um, and so it made me think of some of the quotes that I love from um, people like Maya Angelou. So this is one quote that I just, I love. Um, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And to me, that's like a teacher or a teaching artist um, uh, and education and really helping people um, grow artistically, grow in their creativity, be heard, be seen, that kind of thing. Um, and then there's this also this other quote, um, uh, you can never really know where you're going until you know where you've been. And that can be a lot of different things, right? That could be about, you know, thinking about the history, um, paying respect to those who've come before you, but also in, in, on your own personal level about like understanding where you've been and being um, reflective so you can move forward. Um, 
the other thing that I, I did is I um, had a conversation with Injiri Johnson Smalls, who is the senior education programs manager uh, here at the New Victory. And she's also a master's candidate at NYU in performing arts administration. And this semester, she was our communications manager for the podcast, helping me to write some of those wonderful tweets, um, supporting the creative content management and doing some research on um, other things that will help our podcast. And, um, her time is coming to a close as an intern. So I thought we'd take the time to discuss, um, just check in with her, but also talk about her trip to DC, um, back in March, um, around arts advocacy day. And, um, she did an Instagram takeover during that trip, but Jerry also went to Howard. So it all ties in everybody it all ties in. Um, Again, I really enjoyed listening to or talking to Quinice. I hope that you have been enjoying um, listening to our conversations. And I hope that you enjoy this second act, episode 17, act two, Quinice Floyd, Shaking Foundations for a New Paradigm. Hi, Njiri. Hi, Courtney. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Um, Can you tell us who you are? Please. Sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just Please introduce yourself. Okay. I'm Injiri Johnson Smalls, the senior education programs associate here at the at the New Victory Theater. And I'm currently a college student, a Masters of Arts candidate at New York University for Performing Arts Administration. Mm-hmm. And 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 Oh, and <laughs> I have a lot of jobs. I'm <laughs> the of intern jobs. for a teaching artistry with Courtney J. Body. Yeah, and why are you an intern with Courtney J. Body? Oh, podcast uh, teaching artist. What? W- Let's well. say that again. <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I am an intern with the podcast as part of my performance administration program, and because I know you and Christopher, and then <laughs> <laughs> you know the ho- the whole pod squad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and what's your role, uh, at, uh, what's your role at the new victory? My role at the new victory is in our partnerships and ticketing portion. I work in accessibility at our education shows, as well as organizing ticketing and seating for all of our education new shows and being the senior manager at each performance. Um, I work in communicating with all of our schools in regards to any of their partnership needs and, Oh gosh, what else is it that I do? So I work with our youth corps mm-hmm. in our education shows and work in our Spark program in our alumni Spark schools and keeping them on board mm-hmm. and working with us. So uh, I would encapsulate what you do is you build relationships yes. with our partner schools and the various staff that we're um, in uh, interacting with and then and all in service of uh, and, the, and the Usher Corps and our front of house um, and youth core, uh, youth engagement, uh, team mm-hmm. to be able to really make sure that all, all the groups, but most specifically the kids that are coming through, um, and seeing live performances here have a fantastic time. Yes. Um, and so that you are like the gateway. I, I like that. Yeah. That <laughs> <gateway>. <laughs> you are. Um, and, uh, and you have a team of people that you work with. Yes. So I I work with the education ticketing team and they work in financial portions of our ticketing as well as any adjustments and 
questions that teachers mm-hmm. may have. So all the customer service aspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then you talked about the Spark program, which I've talked a lot about on this uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and how would you describe that program? The Spark program is kind of an arts initiative, bringing schools that have little to no arts or funding to get, receive the arts programs that are year long. Um, in their alumni portion, it's a slightly smaller program of less workshops, but they are still allowed to, it's a little bit more freedom in how they can structure the program. The Spark program is stri- strictly for three grades, whereas mm-hmm. we have some schools that now each grade is coming to the New Victory Theater mm-hmm. and the entire school is receiving our programming. Yeah. So it's kind of like a arts. Yeah, so the idea is that the, the originally the, the Spark program was designed to have um, the ability to embed the arts in a schools where arts were were um, under resourced and are underrepresented, and um, there was a three year program, so we were working sequentially with these kids. And once those three years were up, the the hope was that they would be able to continue on as partners, and they uh, needed some shepherding, right? But um, in that, and that's where you've been super crucial, actually, uh, in my point, in my point of view, yeah. <laughs> at least, um, in supporting. Um, school administrators who are completely and utterly stressed for a variety of reasons um, to be able to continue to make sure that the arts are in their kids' lives. Um, So I think you have a very important job. (laughs) Um, And why did you go into into the program at NYU and arts performing it's performing arts administration? administration? Yes. I wanted to learn more about arts admin. I'd worked Previously, in, I got my degree from Howard in theater technology, and then from there moved on to company management. And after company management, started working in company management and education before moving completely over to arts administration and education. And I felt that I could still learn more about finance and things like that. I found that I had difficulty with accounting and still have to take that course next fall. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to learn more about every aspect of it. And NYU provided a program that would do that and work with working professionals in New York City. And what's your ultimate goal? Ooh, it changes. Yeah. I, I like recently wrote it. Well, not that recently. It was like his first speaking engagement post um, not being president anymore, or mm-hmm. Barack Obama, mm-hmm. he has like a quote that is like, worry less about who you want to be and more about what you want to do. Mm. So I found that like I've been basing a lot of what I want to be off of that as opposed to it being like a structured, I would like to be a producer, I would mm. like to do this and third. It's more helping the arts grow in areas that don't have it. I like that. Yeah. So you're kind of doing that already, yeah. right? Um and you know we're in a we're in the we've done research um, we've done some impact research utilizing the Spark program as the testing ground for collecting that data, mm-hmm. and we're in the phase of like figuring out we have the findings we're trying to interpret what those findings mean and sharing those findings over a two year period and. Um, uh, the reason why I'm talking about that, there was a reason I've lost it. Mm. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess, I guess part of it, my thought process here was that, um, we're still, we're talking about how important the arts are. And, um, as somebody who wants to make sure that like, without saying exactly what the, what the role is, mm-hmm. what you want to do, which I like that is that you're interested in making sure that arts are in people's lives who don't get 
normally or haven't gotten access to it and what that can mean a lot of different things, which is really exciting. Um, and so that's part of, of what you did when you went to DC, right? Yes, it is. It is definitely. So I've been to arts advocacy day, um, twice now. And then this year you, you went, um, tell us some highlights from that experience. Well, I went as a newbie and luckily they have uh, um, a few workshops that you go to the first day where you're all together and it kind of helps you structure your argument for the arts. They provide you an entire packet that's very nicely written out with all these proposals for how you, um, how your local representatives can support the arts mm-hmm. as well as teaching you how to apply the ask. So creating a story or thinking about a story that has the arts resonate within you and using that to relate to something that needs help from local representatives. Mm -hmm. So I struggled a little bit in applying it. I, I have been in the arts all my life. I started dancing at five and then went to performing arts high school and then went to college for theater technology. So it was kind of a little more where I could relate it family wise to why the arts was important as opposed to government wise. Mm -hmm. And so I used a lot of my time at the new Vic to help structure my story and especially time working within our spark schools and research and getting to talk to the students there and Mm -hmm. the teachers and getting to know more about why it was so important to them. So for my story, I, um, I used Miss Joseph, Carol Joseph, Mm -hmm. who was the third grade teacher at one of our spark schools and her story about how, after a year in the Spark program, her students' testing scores went up, and she had trouble explaining to administrative staff that it wasn't just test prep, it was that they had the arts to help them with it. And the more grades that got integrated, the more they were able to see, <coughs> oh, okay, this is because mm-hmm. of what we do here. And having that kind of funding for our programs or funding for those schools to receive arts in their schools helps with being able to assist in a different way that many people wouldn't think of right yeah well it's interesting because the impact research wasn't on external yeah. uh um measures right it was uh, more on the social and emotional uh learning um side and what's actually happening in in a kid's heart you know and head when they're engaging in the arts whether viewing or doing and <clears throat> actually i remember my point about <laughs> where i was talking about the research about the fact that um you know, we, we sort of are, we were funded to do a very, like you said, a very sort of regimented, um, designed program that, that was hard to, you know, mess with Mm -hmm. while the schools were in. But now because the, the funding for that is over and that program, um, is, is, um, has a chance to, um, what am I trying to say? Basically we are going to try and interpret what the findings are are saying so that it helps us in program design. So the Spark program will continue um, after it's sort of closed out its last school under the current design. And that time will help us, that the time that it takes to do that, we will then launch a new new Spark program or the program will be designed somewhat differently. I don't know what it's going to be like. But I think at the heart of it, we know what will stay or the core of it will be about this outreach, right? This idea of helping schools that have no idea who we are, um, who have some sort of need, um, will be able to access the new victory um, without people like Carol uh, Joseph, who was able to find us because we put out an application for this, right? So that's the, that I think that's why this this continues to align and I think that's really interesting because my approach 
was a little bit slightly different than your approach mm-hmm. in terms of telling your story. I mean, I went, I went very much through the kid and the stats and then told a story about, um, seeing the show. Um, but ma- mainly because I think, um, uh, our, we talked to Nadler and we, so we had multiple people, but because the new victory is actually in Nadler's district, district I thought telling a story about, um, a kid at the show made the most amount of sense as opposed mm-hmm. to in the school. Um, and people had other work that was happening in the other districts. So that's just what I ended up landing on is telling the story of Malik um, who saw X and was on stage and oh. how he impacted the art, uh, the actor who played Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very compelling yeah. story. And then, um, there was another, there was another, um, Congress member that we spoke to who's, um, who that school that Carol Fine, we can't name the school, <laughs> but the school that Carol Fine, Mer, uh, uh, Joseph, um, uh, worked in was in their district so i was able to tell them that we were doing this research and what that meant for my group we kind of we during that first day where you meet up with your team and you decide who's going to speak where Mm -hmm. we kind of all picked okay who's in which district and who's where and one person from bam within our group the um bam wasn't in anyone's district so Mm -hmm. they just were like okay i'll just coordinate and lead everyone and we each kind of got a moment to speak at each representative's office, which we weren't expecting oh, at all. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it was each. We didn't get to meet any of the re- representatives themselves. Right, we not, you don't necessarily meet the, <laughs> the the Congress members themselves. You meet with their staff or their yeah. chief of staff or financial officer. Yeah. So with um, oh gosh, <coughs> what is her name? The first person that we went to, I cannot remember her name yet, <laughs> but she, her staffer, wanted to know each of our businesses, mm-hmm. where each of us were from, and with the new Vic. I related to them because we have a few schools now that are from outside of New York City and in their district. Mm. And just explain, you know, we have about four or five schools that come from your district to our theater and they seem to really enjoy it. And our teaching artists are making an effort to get out to them through Metro North. So it's really Mm. great. And with Nadler, we all got to discuss our story and somehow ended up on... um, actors in immigration or performers in Im- immigration oh, at Nadler's office. Yeah. So I explained they, they, from my experience, they've been the most in into it. Yeah. <laughs> the, like the most open, the most excited to mm-hmm. have those conversations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Nadler's um, staff person that was there explained to us that he would love to know when those issues happen because this is directly affecting mm-hmm. his district. Mm-hmm. And it really hits home if it's we can't have certain shows because we cannot get performers into this country. Right. And so as New Victory, we present yeah. works from around the world. And when we have issues with performers not being declined for their visas, that has a, a ripple effect on ticket sales, on the fact that there's not businesses happening, getting, you know, re- reaping the benefits of theater goers, et cetera. So it, it, it has a big effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they even like gave me their contact information said if this ever happens to you guys to please like write to us, let us know so That's that great. we can talk about it and explain how it's affecting us mm-hmm. directly. Did we tell anybody about that? Yeah, we did. Yeah, <laughs> good, good. I, we don't, we, education doesn't deal with that directly. Yeah, no. But, um, but that's great. I mean, what a interesting, who else did you, so you saw Maloney? Mm-hmm. Was that Carol Maloney? Yes, Carol Maloney. Um, and she's um, uh, like the east side and queen and parts of Queens. Yeah. Nadler is the west side and parts of uh, 
Western Brooklyn mm-hmm. or Southern Brooklyn. I don't know. Coastal. Yeah. <laughs> um, who else did you see? Um, I didn't get to see much else because I had oh. to go to the Department of oh, Education. Oh, <laughs> yes. I, so since I was registered as a student, mm-hmm. part of being registered for um, Arts Advocacy Day as a student is that you get to take a visit to the Department of Education. We met with a very nice woman who's part of their arts initiative and the Department of Education and the space that they their office is very nice and surprisingly filled with a lot of art so of course when you first come in it's it's the photos of betsy devos and donald trump and mike pence (laughs) as you go down the hallways (laughs) it's all these paintings which i was surprised because they were paintings of people of color and of children of color (laughs) which is why is that surprising to you it it was just like a surreal experience Mm. for me which like when we came in was explained that they specifically pick so that portion of the Department of Education mm-hmm. specifically picks um, artists from high schools and middle mm-hmm. schools mm-hmm. to display their artwork throughout the office building. And they had students who were, who, oh gosh, what was the name of their exhibit? It was Yo Soy, I Am. Mm-hmm. And they had different artwork. It was from like pre-K through just elementary age mm-hmm. students. And their artwork of what it means to be in America which I know <laughs> it was a very different thing than what you would expect there, mm-hmm. because especially at the time that we had gone, DeVos had gotten into a, a, the news recently for her for the treatment of a student in a school who was a student of color, mm-hmm. who was a, few, a bit unfairly searched in her school, and DeVos explained that it you know wasn't necessarily that big an issue, and. <laughs> It was odd to see, okay, there are all these, like, you walk into an office building each day and you see all this artwork by student of col- students of color and you see all these images of people of color. And yet the treatment of these students, especially students who are bilingual and students who have families that are from different areas, are not necessarily treated as well as you would expect being in this theater space. So it was, it was very, this, uh, I mean, in this um, auditorium mm-hmm, that they had mm-hmm. us in. Jerry, <laughs> I. It's very difficult for me to speak without getting like hot-headed yeah. when referring to Devastator. I hate her. I hate what she stands for. I hate that she isn't at all in charge of of this uh, of education. I very much dislike how she. Um tries to carry herself mm-hmm. like she's just like a sweet little lady but she is a wolf and a horrible human being i hate her more than anybody else in this administration and i don't like many people yeah or any in yeah. this administration she's number one that's saying a lot yeah i think um so that that must be weird it was it was very sort they're doing a lot as far as arts initiatives for students and um, they even had a competition that one person who was, because you didn't have to necessarily be a student to attend the Department of Education mm. visit. So there were about three people there who weren't students but just wanted to learn more about, you know, what's going on mm-hmm. with the Department of Education and wor- how do you feel about arts um, programming. I like how you skipped all that. School. Thank you. That Sorry. was very professional. No. <laughs> no, no, that's no, good. No, that's fine. That's good. <laughs> I'm Don't engage with my madness. <laughs> I'm getting to it. <laughs> 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 like, they, um... And they also had a, a someone who works in grant research or grant reading grants mm-hmm. that are 
apply to the Department of Education to speak a bit more about how you can write grants to them for Mm -hmm. different initiatives. And one person was the head of the, oh, darn, what was the name of the competition? It was a a competition of, like, they have film, uh, paintings, and writing that different students from across the U.S. can apply to. Mm -hmm. And she used to be one of the people that read all the applications and looked at all the artwork and you know was just there to see like how it was going Mm. and see how the initiative had gone with it and in their lobby space which the students of color portraits kind of go towards the cafeteria Mm. and in the opposite direction is the auditorium that they took us in and outside of the auditorium is all the finalists from that competition Mm. and it ranges like there was one student whose film I just I could not believe that a like second grader had made it it just it like the play-doh of it i was like okay cool this is like second grade level play-doh but film splices it was all kind of claymation stop motion animation and it was it was intense for a second grader but the story was very like okay i get that Sheldon wrote this Mm. and so they had their film they had another piece of artwork that was about sparking a light within you and it's like a little post-it note of an arrow that said like touch this light and (laughs) you touch it the whole like picture lights up they had different little lights inside of it and each of the finalists are selected through people that work at the department of education and read about their um each of their appeals and it's i kind of wondered like okay great this all of this artwork is here and she has to pass it every day and like you see that these are like high school age students who eventually will go to college and some of them get scholarship money throughout the mm-hmm. um, program. But does that cover everything that they're going to have or do they have any, like how, what happens if they're assaulted because of her recent regulations that mm-hmm. wouldn't really title be nine. protected or mm-hmm. happens with their loans and things mm-hmm. like that. Is that title nine or title 10? I think title nine. Yeah. Or what happens when they have all these student loans and things like that? Like, there's no thought as to, okay, great, this is a nice picture, and then you just go on to not think of the artist or the person that made it in their life. So I think I think what you're, I mean, I love that you're, that you're pointing this out. Like here, what a dichotomy. Yeah. You have this beautiful artwork, hand-picked, that is displaying kids' artwork, kids of color. You've got these contest uh or contestants that have submitted in their finalists also mainly of color, likely in, in low income neighborhoods throughout the, uh, the country. Um, and yet the choices that you make in terms of budgets, policies, criteria are all antithetical to this sort of joy and love that you're displaying. Do you know what that says to me? You're a wolf. In Chanel. So you, this semester, you were uh, an intern for um, Teaching Our Street with Courtney J. Body mm-hmm. podcast. And um, it has been really helpful, actually, because this is a scrappy indie podcast mm-hmm. with, you know, my, I don't have two turntables. I have a little device and two mics. It's a nice device, <laughs> Thank you. And, and a really scrappy um, pod squad. And um, what's been fun with for me has been sort of brainstorming the social media mm-hmm. um, components of our work and 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 um, 
and you like writing stuff (laughs) and getting you know even if you can't like fully get it to the place because you're working part-time and you have a job um and going to grad school and getting ready at some organizing a wedding um but that has been super helpful for for me um can you express anything that you've gotten out of it have you yeah i've gotten stuff out of it um it's really given me a a bigger understanding of like who you reach with this podcast Mm. and the type of people that listen to it like even though we've we've only like broken through the facebook page so far (laughs) but we did well twitter twitter Twitter. too oh cool 300 we got over 300 i mean like the demographics oh right oh you're talking about right we don't know who all the folks are we don't have analytics. Yeah. Got it. So Except like for finding yeah. the type of pe- types of people that <clears throat> listen to this and the types of people that you're reaching out to and that are um, receptive of um, this work, which mm-hmm. like it goes as far as like, is it one person in maybe Singapore, Singapore. that was listening yeah. to it? I know that person. Is yeah. <laughs> it's really in cool. Australia. I think yeah, that Australia I sent too. it to um, Brad Hassman in Australia, who w- used to be in the university sector, um, and Cecily O'Neill's mm-hmm. um, podcast like popped even further than it was already, yeah. um, and I'm pretty sure it was because of him. <laughs> so, cool. like the kind of reach that this is having is really mm-hmm. exciting, and um, maybe we can figure out more ways to do some analytics. Maybe we should do a poll. Yeah, that'd be cool. This is th- you're literally listening to um, our brainstorming. <laughs> brainstorming meetings like maybe we could do this yeah maybe we could do that Uh, (laughs) um what else what else um also just the experience of going to americans for the arts which i know is is also through work but partially through this podcast Mm -hmm. as well is really eye-opening and seeing just all these different people from across the united states that are interested in like fighting for the arts was a whole advocating i say fighting fighting advocating (laughs) Mm -hmm. but you also and and just in terms of the podcast you did a insta takeover which was great thanks really great like better than i could ever do um so i know your time is not quite up yet though by the time this airs it will be i know oh you can stay on (laughs) if you want we can give you a different title I'll see. I, I would like you have to graduate. To do. I know. <laughs> um, but uh, it's been, yeah, it's been really, really great to have you. And I also just enjoy working with you in general. Thanks. Um, any last things that you want to say to the listeners? Um, I don't know. This show that I like watching, Jesus and Mero, they like give you a bodega sign at the end of like whatever quote you want. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> And I feel like my quote, my quote would be like in Beyonce's homecoming, she has like different quotes from um, artists and writers who went to HBCUs or spoke at them. And one is like, keep working, don't stop. Mm-hmm. And like, it was just after this whole montage stuff that I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. It's so keep working. Yeah. Don't stop. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jerry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> get to the conference so okay. uh you've been here before yes this is my third third fourth third i think what so was philly, that chicago. philly chicago yeah i was at both i of didn't those. go to the west yeah somehow somehow <laughs> either we met or i i don't recall but um yeah this is my fourth okay. i believe 
maybe fifth, maybe fifth. Um, what was a standout uh, uh, session or uh, moment for you in this conference? I think the open plenary um, was really good. Sorry, my stomach's all like growling. <laughs> oh, I can't hear it. <laughs> um, the open plenary was really phenomenal because um, you had, you know, Dr. Leslie Hammond, you had Mama Kabibi, you had Lauren, um, and then they brought up Mr. Fun. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> I think, one, because it, it wasn't the traditional structured plenary, and then two, because they actually brought Baltimore into the room. Mm. Um, and I think with a lot of conferences, people forget about the community that's surrounding the location that you're at. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so it was really good when Dr. Hammond had said, you know, we're more than just what you see on TV. Like we are. I'm sorry, no, I, I'm not trying to interrupt you, but I, I feel like I've heard that multiple times and I don't know what that means. So, especially with the uprising, what the history with Baltimore, Baltimore is a very, very neighborhooded city. Yeah. Um, not neighborhooded, is that a word? So, <laughs> we might get a word. So there are, there's a lot of boots on the ground. There's a lot of grassroots stuff happening mm -hmm. here mm -hmm. and that's never highlighted, is never highlighted um, on the news. So, you know, all you hear about Baltimore is the wire, you know, all the stereotypes. Right. All you hear about Baltimore is, you know, what happened with Freddie Gray and the uprisings. Gotcha. Um, right. You never hear anything positive happening in Baltimore. Maybe the Ravens, mm. but you never hear like nothing positive about what's going on in the community. And there's so many grassroots organizations here that are doing a lot of work, but they just try to make it seem like Baltimore is a desolate place, you know, hit by, you know, the drugs and there's a lot of poor people here and it's not the place to be, but there's so much good here in mm. this city and the city heals itself. And that's what I can honestly say. Like the mm. communities are so tight that they're a heal. They heal each other. Mm. Um, of course you're gonna have, you know, the good and the bad with every city, but yeah. I think Baltimore particularly, people always have those negative connotations of the city from the wire and all that other stuff right. on the news. Um, yeah, so. So, so that I, I missed that. Like I, I arrived just at the end of that, but then I saw the gentleman with the keys on his oh, hat. Yeah, and is that, that's who Lauren, Lauren mm -hmm. and the spoons. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, so what happened during the, the planning? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was kind of like a TEDx, no, was it TEDx? Pecha Kucha TEDx Pecha Kucha. maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, and each of the speakers had about f seven minutes to talk about what they did. So, um, Dr. Hammond talked about her work and how she became an artist and her coming from New York from a family of immigrants and going into the arts and working ended up, you know, being in a doctoral program at Johns Hopkins, which was never even thought of. And that um, her process, she created the Center for Race, I believe, at mm. Johns Hopkins. Um, and so that was like the ultra, like what? Yeah. Um, and then became like a graduate di uh, director there and kind of pushing back on the idea that, you know, she had all these barriers against her and she still fought against it. Like she fought right through it. She even said that her family thought she was like crazy, to be honest. Like they thought she was the black sheep of the family, but she was like, you know, once they saw her going to school and like doing things for the community, they realized, oh wow, this was your calling and you knew it before we even knew it. Um, Mama Kabibi was talking about 
the work that she does with the Sankofa dance. So Mama Kabibi is, you know, a trailblazer in um, the dance world. Um, she was talking about her work where she uh, brings students over to Africa and they dance over there. And wow. yeah, um, Lauren was talking about buying townhomes, row homes in Baltimore and changing them. And people would come by and they're like, you can't change the townhome. These are brick. You know, these are things that we see every day. And he did it anyway. And then he said that the kids would come by and he'd be like, whoa, you could change brick? So that kind of like opened them up to a new world of like, mm. you can change things. Just because it's been the same, you can still change them. Um, and then Dr. Fun, they just brought him on the stage. And then he talked about his experience in teaching, you know, the high school students mm. here um, in Baltimore. So just, it made me really realize like, we have to do better, especially when, not just, not saying just the Guild, but like in general, arts organizations, when they have these bigger events, mm. these conferences, mm -hmm. we have to do better by actually going into the communities and seeing what's happening in the communities. Yeah, that's great. Um, how, what did you think of Carlton Turner? Oh, right. I love him. Oh, <laughs> I never, I didn't know him before. Right. I'm like. Yeah, with alternate roots, he did a lot of great. So um, the one thing when he at the very end, this like stuck with me at the very end, he was like, if we keep doing the same thing over and over, it's just plantation politics. <laughs> First of all, I had to look like, that up. I was like, that's a thing. Let me look up plantation politics. Um, and when the woman asked him, like, what can we do to support? He was like, that's not for me to. Yeah. So for context, um, there was a white woman who asked him, you know, what can we do to help? you know, people of color or communities of color uh, so that we can get past this, I guess, inequitable opportunities or inequitable things that are going on in the world and injustices, blah, blah, blah. And Carlson was like, I don't know. You need to do that yourself. You need to figure that out. So basically that was his message to white people, like stop asking people of color mm -hmm. to take on the burden to help you better understand what needs to happen, that there's so many resources, there's so many things that you can do yourself to figure out what's going on and how to change it. His story, uh, yeah, that was an amazing moment. Um, <laughs> and, and I went to his session after. Oh, okay. How's um, that? And, he, well, first he started with, that room was very big. So do you, you know, I'm sure not everybody got their questions out. What mm -hmm. questions do you have? So there were a, a lot of the questions were about the politics of, Mer of Mississippi. Mm -hmm. um, and um, he, he s said some things that I was like, oh, oh, crap. Um, and it was another one where this, you know, one of the, I can't remember if he said it in the plenary or if he said it in the session, but saying something about like how there's this thing about having a need for solutions mm. and that seems to come from white, white people, people where they want to, to just sort of like nip it. Right. And that's not how this works. Mm -mm. It's ongoing work. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, uh, no, I think that was in the session maybe. Mm, I can't remember, but it, it yeah that was a moment where like everybody who was white in that room you could see them like not quite bristle but sort of like tense for a second and they're like oh, right. okay you know <laughs> you know you could just feel it and it's like yeah this there's not an end an end to this right. it's it? it's ongoing right. and it's got to change it's, and right. you know what I don't know if this is right so please tell me if it's not right. But when you were talking about, please remind me of the, of the name of the group again. Which one? Your, your, your oh, Arts Administrators of Color Network. Our, what's the acronym for that? AAC. AAC. Mm -hmm. AAC. Okay. So when you were talking about AAC and then you were talking about the different regional kind of net, similar networks around the country, I was thinking like, 
again, if this isn't right, you're going to be like, what is wrong with this girl? Uh, I was thinking about like Knights of Columbus mm. and what's the other one? Daughters of the Confederacy. Oh, okay. I, the the reason why, like yeah. I, the reason why I was thinking about that mm. was when, when white people are like, why do you need that? Mm-hmm. You all have something already. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of things. Right. You have everything. You have everything. <laughs> and so here is us, you know, here's a way for us to be able to find spaces for our, that aren't necessarily a church mm-hmm. or a other kind of community thing, which, you know, we are all involved in our own ways, but that's a personal choice right. as opposed to how do we, uh, uh, in, in the, you know, African-American and African diaspora. And we all have, you know, come from so much, so many places, but we have a lot of things in common that we deserve to have a space. And then that takes me back to Carlton saying like to this white person, like, I'm sorry, that's not my, he didn't even apologize. He just said, that's not my job. Right. That actually happened to, well, to me specifically. So we, I hosted a people of color session Mm -hmm. at a conference. Um, I'll say we hosted it at Americans for the Arts Convention. Convention? Com- conference? Yeah, the convention. So we hosted a, a people of color space for healing and yeah. for mobilization and for, you know, just help hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was standing outside. We made it ex- explicit in, <laughs> in Americans for the Arts' like, program book mm-hmm. that this was a space for people of color. And so I was standing outside, you know, greeting people. We got music going on. We, you know, we were trying to make it a family mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and these two white women approached me. And they ask me, well, you know, we need to do this work together. Why can't we be a part of this space? I said, you have all the spaces. <laughs> I said that to them. Mm-hmm. You have all the spaces. So we need this time for ourselves. And then if you want to know how you can support, I would suggest you go online and look up resources on how you can do work on your own. But I think they, like, wrote a letter to AFTA and all this other stuff. But it never got back to me that they wrote a letter. But... Um, this is something that keeps occurring, reoccurring over mm-hmm. and over. Mm-hmm. Even at this conference, I heard somebody say, well, why? Because they had the artists for racial equity and then mm-hmm. they had the white advocates for racial yes. equity. Mm-hmm. Someone said, well, why can't we work together? Why can't we do this together? So there was a pre-conference Ooh. that was similar to that where it was all white people in the room dealing with race. Mm-hmm. And one of my coworkers went to it and he was um, saying... I think because he felt comfortable telling me this, but I was like, tell me everything, (laughs) everything. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yo, it was, it was like, people were saying things that you would never say in a mixed company. Mm. Um, And there was like a lot of work that Mm. needs to be done. Um, and you know, there was a lot of resistance in the beginning to where then he, he, I mean, I'm not going to go into specifics, but like, um, by the end people were like, Oh, Oh, I do that. Oh, I, I make apologies or I, you know, I, I do, I, I've done microaggressions. Oh crap. Like they're recognizing like, Oh, I've done that. Mm -hmm. How do I change that? So there was, I mean, there was a reason why the people were in that room mm-hmm. they wanted to be that in that room so that's a good thing i right. think but that but that idea for me goes back to like yeah you can't you can't do the work together there is work to be done together but right. there is also work that needs to be done amongst yourselves right. and um y- you know how we navigate each space um uh sometimes okay so i've said this to 
many people and I haven't said it correctly yet. I haven't said what I really am trying to say. Okay. I'm still not going to probably, <laughs> but you know, there, there, there are times when I'm at a, a session, like, you know, a conference like this or, you know, at a board uh, event or, or so- something. And I walk into a room and I, you know, I do the scan as one does. And depending on who's in that room, what's happening, why I'm in that room. Mm-hmm. Often I'm, st- I still feel like exactly myself. Mm-hmm. That's not the way I've always felt, but there are times when I feel like if I were a different person, I wonder if I would beha- behave the same way, mm-hmm. but I'm behaving this way. And I don't know what it means. I don't know what it seems like for anybody else in this room, but right. like, if you talk to me directly, I'm going to talk to you directly and I'm not going to be intimidated by you. I'm also not going to, I'm going to do my best not to be rude, but I'm also going to be very aware that I'm often the only black person in a room, especially when it's, um, um, in rooms of higher economic Mm. levels. Um, and yeah, you know, like what do I do about that? Mm. And, or am I a fraud because I don't change how I behave? You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm. I don't know. I don't know exactly what my question is. Is like, do I need to do like a more work than I am already? Or am I doing fine and it's okay? (laughs) Why do you think you need to change stuff? I think. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Code switching. I don't code switch. That's what I'm talking about. You shouldn't have to. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is I don't feel like I code switch. You shouldn't have to. I mean, in reality, yeah. you shouldn't have to. But when I hear people talk about it, sometimes I'm like, oh, am I supposed to be doing something I'm not doing? No. Okay. Because then we even have work to do, like as people yeah. of color internally. Because even I saw an article a couple months ago, and it was like reclaim your space. Because this woman in New York was talking about how, you know, she moves out of people's way, oh. and she said now mm-hmm. she's not going to do that anymore mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's almost to the point where she, it's like she's invisible. So people are like, she, I mean, she's moving out of way for other people because you. she's yeah. invisible to the rest of the world. Mm. So now she's like, I'm not moving. <laughs> so you have to reclaim who you are. You reclaim your space. Reclaim your time. Maxine, yeah, auntie. right. I'm reclaiming <laughs> my time. Uh, yeah, that's how I do feel that way. I feel very um, um, po- powerful. Yes, yeah, it's, it's empowering. <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel powerful. Not mm. even empowered. I feel powerful, mm. and I don't. I don't ever. Uh, I have. I have in the past done that, right. where I'm thinking I'm being polite. And I, you know, so I'll move, but like, I notice myself, I'll walk down the street and somebody's walking towards me and I'm looking at them. I, I can't wait for you to move right? because <laughs> otherwise we're just going to bump into each other. Right, and they often they, do, they yeah. don't think about being polite to people for us. <laughs> so just keep going straight. It's going to be a head on collision. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I'm not going to say sorry if we hit either. Cause no. you saw me. No. <laughs> I, yeah. It's funny. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think like, I know that that like I think about the young people that work in our organization and for them just talking to an adult let mm-hmm. alone what, you know who who that adult is is a big effing deal for yeah. them and um so we try to really hard to make sure that they feel comfortable that they that we actually acknowledge like yeah talking to adults is weird <laughs> but here's the thing if you're just yourself and you listen everything's gonna be fine especially because they work there you know like you have to actually open your mouth and talk to somebody because they they don't know what the rules are you do you actually have the power here and it's not about like inserting your power it's more about how do i help everybody have a good time Mm -hmm. 
So uh, that's in a work context, but, right. but in general that can be applied to other areas of your, of your life as yeah. you're growing. And, you know, like I remember as a kid, I'm just thinking about like how I was taught to be polite mm-hmm. and what that meant. And often, you know, my family often, if we were in a space, we were often the black, the only black family in that room. Mm-hmm. And so there was this other connotation sometimes that was being had made that I wasn't necessarily reading at the time right. that in retrospect, it's like, don't do anything that's going to get us right. noticed in a way that people start thinking negatively about us as black people, right. whatever that may be. And that, that's a lot of fucking pressure, yeah. frankly. Um, and I, you know, but then I think I was always still just myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so either I was going to be like quiet because I was like, I don't like any of these people mm-hmm. and I'm just not going to like engage or I was going to be all up in everybody's business right. because that was kind of like, it was a uh, red light, green light for me. Right. <laughs> anyway, Anyway, that, so so stuff like that makes me think like, yes, I have work to do for myself. So mm-hmm. from, from the story that Carlton Turner told at the plenary about him and his brother and the mm-hmm. grandfather and the, that was like, ho, right. ho, ho, ho. And, and I, I think a lot, do you have this? I think a lot back to like silly things that I said or not, they weren't, I was, but like just things that I said because I didn't understand context where my right. parents would be like, what? You can't right. do that or mortified or angry right. or really upset because I just wasn't understanding context. Right. Did, did you ever have those moments as a kid or, or thinking back? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I think playing violin was a little bit. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, at first my friend was like, Black people don't play the violin. (laughs) (laughs) And then after a while, like, they saw that I was good at it. Then they started, you know, encouraging me and supporting me and, like, trying to get used to the vision of a black, little black girl playing the violin. Yeah. So I think that was probably the biggest one that kind of stood out to me. Like, oh, hmm. And then plus I was, like, always tall. You know, I'm 5'11", two-something. I was always like a big girl. Mm-hmm. So everything I do is always like seen, regardless if I want to be seen or not, because I'm just a big girl. Mm-hmm. I'm big and black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So my aunt used to always like make sure, you know, make sure she always, I think my aunt knew that people were watching me because of the way my body was. Mm. And so like she would always kind of like police my clothing, police like how I wear my hair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a lot of that, I mean, I mean, she meant well. Of course. She always means well. Like, but I think because of those structures that are in mm. place and, you know, especially with our elders, like mm-hmm. they're like, don't shake it up. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I think the same thing. Um, yes. All of those things like hair was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, our parents was a very big deal. How we, you know, interacted with, uh, with others, a big deal. Uh, although when I, d- I started the, the violin, they were super happy that I chose that because we, we had choices right. and I was like, Oh, that one looks easy. That's really what I was thinking. <laughs> and then I actually, yeah, I enjoyed right. it. But like, there wasn't that conversation of like, I mean, I think my dad and anything that I did, he always was like hoping I was a prodigy in some way, Aww. like in anything. And I, and then I wasn't, and he'd be like, <laughs> well, you got to keep working, Courtney. Okay. Aww. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a whole lot that we could be talking about about dads right. um uh but are, are we've been talking for so long yeah. 
I appreciate your time. No, no problem. Thank I think you. we should. I would love to do like a crossover, a mix up, a mix up between. Um, oh my God, my brain. I'm so sorry. Arts. But our the arts ministry is a color network or art accordingly. Art podcast. accordingly. <laughs> like I feel like the podcasts should do something together. We should. Yeah. What? What? We can figure something out. Okay. Um. I, yeah. 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 What? Yeah. what no. Were you I, was thinking? T- I was gonna tell you. I'll tell you later. Oh, you're gonna oh, <laughs> offline. Yeah. I like that. Um. Yeah. Uh, so th- my last question to you mm-hmm. is, um, as as an arts administrator, me and you know uh, of color, what what are some um, what are some things that I should be, I should be thinking about? So I'm not going to, I'm going to stop thinking about myself in a room. Mm-hmm. That's out. I'm done. I'm done with that. I'll All just right. be, but what are some things that I should be thinking about? Do you think, um, or, uh, striving for in, in, even though you don't know all my work, but just right. in general, as somebody who's representative of, other arts administrators of color, mm-hmm. um, being an, uh, a leader in the field, what are what are some things that I should be thinking of? Um, I think it's very important for each of us to reach back and lift up at mm. the same time. Yes. So making sure that we're um, supporting and cultivating, you know, future administrators of color Great. or future artists and teaching artists, mm-hmm. and as well as you know, giving thanks to those who came before us before arts management wasn't even a thing or mm-hmm. arts administration was even a thing. Like mm-hmm. there's so many people out there that have done the work and paved the way for us to be there. Um, so I think that's, to me, that's what I want to make sure that we do. That's Because, I mean, that's cultural. Definitely. Um, thank you so much, Clarice. Well, thank you. Um, I want to, I, yeah, we should definitely keep talking. Um, I feel like, I know we've been in the same spaces before, but this right. is the first time we were really talked. And right. for me, it's, I, I don't know if you're feeling the same way, mm. but I feel very like we were always supposed to be talking. Yeah, we're family, girl. We're family. <laughs> my cuz. My cuz. Yeah, no, that's what I feel like. Mm-hmm. So thank you for taking the time. Yeah. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Oh, I, I'm you. really excited to learn and listen more. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll we'll have some more more exciting things between teaching artistry and art accordingly. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> and one final thing, I think there yes. should be a lot of conversations happening between like certified arts educators and teaching artists. Yeah, that are not happening. Ooh, mm. we can make that happen. Yeah, yeah, let's do that too. Yeah, because arts educators try to silo themselves. They try to make a hierarchy. Like mm. people in the schools doing the work, they try to be, pretend like they're better just because they got more of an education or certification yeah, or, or whatever. Just dif- yeah, it's different. It's but the like, same. We should be working goal. together. Yeah, we have I, the same goals. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. <sighs> don't get me started. Well, we well, we'll, we'll we won't we won't, um, we won't get finish the conversation there. That, that's the beginning of a conversation. Right. Excellent. All right. Well. Get home safe on your 45-minute drive. Yay. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. All right, thanks. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Episode 17, Act 2 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Boddy. Quanice Floyd, Shaking Foundations for a New Paradigm. Join us next time for a conversation with Elgin Bokari. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Boddy is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the Creative Content Manager. Brandon Hutchinson is the Media Arts Coordinator. Njiri Johnson-Smalls is the communications intern. Jono Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry. Now on Instagram at teachingartistry with CJB. 
like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Your life.